This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. Good morning, everyone. How are you doing today? Are you all right? Are you okay? Well, it happened this week at our offices. I tell you what, the fire alarm went off. And not one of those scheduled fire alarms. Not one of those kind of drills that happens. Does it happen in your office? Kind of same time every week you get a fire drill. This was no ordinary drill. It was a proper full-on fire alarm. And it went off. And you know that when the fire alarm goes off, you have that moment, don't you, where you look at the person next to you. And I was in the meeting. And uh, Sophia looked at me. And I looked at Sophia. And she looked at me. And I looked at her. And I said, this isn't stopping, is it? I said, no. And I said, um, I think we better make our way out. She says, well, it might stop in a minute. And I says, no, but imagine if there's flames bellowing out of the bottom of the building. We're here on the third floor. It might be an idea if we... Yes, yes, she said, after I talked about billowing flames from the ground floor. She thought it was a good reason that we should um, step out. And so as I'm about to step out, she reaches for her phone, because you've got to have your phone in case there's a fire. And then she thinks to herself, is there anything else I need? I said, Sophia, I said, if you're dead and melting the flames, I says, nobody will worry about what you've left behind. But it was fascinating to me. In the middle of all the fire, the alarm's going, it's going off in the room and and in the corridor. And as we begin to make our way, confession, I did grab my phone just so I could phone my wife and let her know that, yes, yeah, sorry, I'm still alive, darling. <laughs> so I could let her know. And so, so we walked down the corridor. But it was fascinating to me. It really was. In the middle of the fire, I'm walk, walking past glass doors of the other people that share the building uh, with us, and they're busy typing in emails, and off they're doing and There's people on the phone, and, and off the phone. Is it like that? Or is it like that? I don't know. They're on the phone, and uh, the fire alarm's going off, and it's, it's just amazing to me. But what was fascinating to me the most was the things people went back to their offices to grab. Even at our office, people said, oh, come on in, come on. I said, come on, guys, let's go, let's go. Oh, one sec, I just grabbed my bag, said Heidi. You know, she said, this is Louis Vuitton, she said. So she's got to grab her bag. And people were just grabbing, and I'm saying, it's a f- look, there could be fire billowing from the ground floor below. Let's get out. And then sure enough, me and my big mouth talking about billowing flames below. Guess what it was when we got outside? And we stood outside in the fireplace where we're all supposed to assemble when there's a fire. You know, all the notices in the back of the room. Guess what it was when we arrived down there. Was it a fire? No. False alarm. False alarm. Always a false alarm, isn't it? When you're staying at a hotel, there's always somebody that smokes in a no-smoking room, isn't there? There's always somebody that puts the toaster on and browns the toast too much and sets off fire alarms and they're false alarms. But the thing that struck me was the things that we collect in the midst of danger. You see, all of us right now, even in your home, you possess things that are worthless to anybody else. But to you, There's something special. It might be, you know, a a little stone. (laughs) Might be a little pebble. Might be a little pebble, Russell, that as you and Lindsay were walking on a beach one day, 
And as you were describing your love for her and how she was one in a million and how you were so grateful for the fact that she had come into your life for us. And you're walking along in the midst of all the grey and black pebbles on the beach. There's a little white pebble and you say, darling, that pebble is like you. You are one in a million. <laughs> great line, Russell. Great line. And Lindsay is there. And she's, oh, that's so special. And she picks down. She goes down and she picks up the white pebble. And as she picks up the white pebble, Russell is thinking, man, that line works every time. <laughs> and she picks up the pebble. And today, if you go to their home, you can see by the side of the bed at Lindsay's cabinet, there's a little white pebble that represents that day that they were on the beach together. That's a made-up story. Don't pull a leg after. But we do all of these. <laughs> but I tell you what, I know some guys that will be walking on the beach one day and they'll be seeing a white pebble and they'll be using that line because it's a really cool line to use, isn't it? But we do these crazy things that we, we create mementos and we whole so many different things. There's songs that you guys know and will sing and say, oh, that was the song that, was, that we danced to, the first dance at our wedding, James. It was such a lovely day. There's all of these things that we pull these moments together. And you see, these moments are just snapshots in time. You see, we live and we die. This week, we said goodbye and we committed uh, the body of Pam Simpson to the Lord this week as we remembered with fondness the wonderful 92 years that she spent with us here on earth and touched our lives. God had blessed her with 92 years. I mean, I don't know how many seconds that is if we were to calculate it, but those of you with mathematical, logical analysis, OCD right now, you're already trying to work it out. You're going three, six, five, you're all trying, I don't know what it is. I'm not bothered with that kind of stuff. I just generalize. But you're trying to work out, well, how many seconds is that? You see, our life is just a collection of moments that we strap together and we call it life. Right now, I am aging before you. I mean, can you see it? Can you see it happening? Yes, I know. <laughs> I mean, I've been aging since the day I've born. Since the day I arrived here on earth. I mean, we call it growing up. But really, that's just a posh name for aging. You see, I appeared at that grand time in life in 1969 when man walked on the moon. The Beatles split up. Concord's first flight on the birth of Philip Morgan. And I appeared on the 23rd of March, 1969, and ever since then, I've been growing old. Second by second, minute by minute, day by day. But in the midst of it all, we try and capture so many different things in our lives. And I've got some photographs that I thought I would share with you today that are moments that have been taken in fraction of a second that represent our lives. You see, I can't work this out. My wife would know the date, but this is a time when we went on holiday to Tenerife. Let's see this picture. Isn't my wife lovely? Aren't I wrinkle-free right there? 
Isn't it great? Look, look at that. And oh, I mean, isn't she a stunner? She's always been a stunner. She's the girl for me. And you see, when we were on holiday, we were with our children. That photograph. And this photographer was at the hotel. And this is around, I'm trying to work it out. This is Sarah, our youngest. I think she's around. How old do you think she is there? Oh, I don't know. It's about two and a half, three, two years, whatever it is. I don't know what it is. I have no clue. I'm a bloke trying to work it out. Don't ask me to guess people's ages. But I think this is around maybe 2005, this photograph's taken. It's a digital photograph, no date on the back. Try to have a look. But there it is. And I'll never forget that night. I'll never forget. You can't see it. It's out of shot there. Um, a woman came handing a rose. You know, they do at hotels. You're thinking, oh, I don't want to buy it. I don't want and Ruth says, oh, yeah, go on, buy it. I'm sorry, how much? Two euros for a rose. And that's going to be in the bin tonight. That's the way my mind thinks. And she says, oh, bless. Ble buy it. And so I buy it. And Sarah reaches out and picks. I remember that night. And I remember that the photographer carried on taking photographs all night. And he snapped this one of Sarah. Isn't that cute? Isn't that cute? Yeah, she's not always cute, I assure you. And this one, look at this one of Fionn. Oh, is she lovely? Yeah, she's a rotter for most of the holiday. Get changed, have your breakfast, everything. But look, isn't it lovely? Are you enjoying this moment with me? Because this photograph was taken in thousandth of a second. And it's over. But it's caught for time. Because she doesn't look like that today, does she? Sarah doesn't look like that today. And my eldest, Karis. <laughs> Certainly does not look like that. <laughs> today. Oh, you see when you got it, you see she, you know, she traded the tooth for a hat. That's what it was. And she says, there she is with a beaming smile. Losing. All moments, all moments that we capture in time. My father heavily influenced my life. Um, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him biologically. That's a fact. Um, but as well as that, one of the things my father always used to do is to learn so many phrases and poems. And this was a poem that my father often used to repeat about time. We haven't got time to stand and stare. We haven't got time to hang around for anything. And it's a poem that's by Dr. Benjamin E. Mays. Have a listen to this wonderful little poem that one day, maybe like my father, I'll have time to commit it to memory. And it simply says this, I have only just a minute, only sec 60 seconds in it, forced upon me, can't refuse it, didn't seek it, didn't choose it, but it's up to me to use it. I must suffer if I lose it, give account if I abuse it, just a tiny little minute, but eternity is in it. You see, time waltzes past. I mean, right now, I've been speaking to you already for eight minutes or so, and you're all thinking, oh, I wish it would come to an end this time that he's rambling on and on. 60 seconds becomes a minute. 60 minutes becomes an hour. An hour. 24 hours becomes a and 365 days becomes a 
yeah, and some of you are thinking, no, not if it's a leap year. I know. And then 10 years becomes a decade. And then we become things like septuagenarians and octogenarians and ninetygenarians. And we become older and older as life passes by. And it goes so quickly, doesn't it? I'm going to be 50 this year. Wow! I mean, that I made it to 50 is a miracle and I'm not dead. The ways to drive and the stuff that happens to me. I can't believe I've made it so far. Hopefully, I'll hit the 23rd of March and we'll celebrate 50 with my family. But I tell you, it's gone quick. I want to live till I'm 100. I'm going to be calling it half-time. I love sport, so this is half-time is 2019. And I hope to be even more productive and I hope to uh, be even wiser and I hope for lots of things that will face me in the second half of my life. Maybe I'll have grandchildren if God permits that. Maybe there'll be so many things that will come my way. Maybe I will see revival on this land in a grand way that God would visit our nation again and that souls would be saved. Lord, let it start in our town. Lord, let it start in me. Oh, God, grant me my heart's desires for so many things, but to see you move like you've moved before. Oh, boy, is that a prayer that you could join me in today? And so talking about this principle of time, as Andrea's already said this moment, I have a very practical message for you this morning on the subject of time. As we continue this series called Entrusted, that's based on this verse that we are pinning everything that we have, Luke verse 48 and we're focusing on three parts that's in Matthew 25 that we're using as well but we understand that Luke 12 48 that scripture says to the whom much is given much is required but to the one who has been entrusted with much much more is asked you see there are people for some reason and I don't know quite how this works there are some people that their lives are very, very long. There are other people, their lives seem very, very short. I've never been able to process and put things together, the challenges and the difficulties around suffering, around infant death, around cancer, around so many things that touch our cursed world. I've given up trying to find answers to it. I believe if we knew the answers to all those questions, if we knew the answers, we would be all-knowing, wouldn't we? And I believe if we become all-knowing, then we become God himself. And that's part of the problem, is as much as you might think so, you ain't God. You know, what we, I do know, well, sorry, what I don't know and don't understand far expands what I do know. And I do understand. So how can I ever hope to contain all the information and all the knowledge that's in the world? I can seek wisdom, but I'll never know everything. I mean, I know a few people that know everything. Do you know a few people like that? I know a few people like that, but it's impossible for us to know everything. Otherwise, become God. And the church so often in two subjects, one that I'm talking about, this concept of time and the concept of our every second that, as the poet says, eternity is in it. Our eternity is made up of the collections of seconds that we have because we are creatures of time. 
And yet we struggle uh, in our very human experience to actually try and rationalize so many things. Because to die in your 90s kind of seems okay, doesn't it? Oh, she's had a good innings. That's what two people said to me this week. She's had a good innings. And I said, why do they say that? And uh, Jack, who I was talking to at the time, he says, yeah, it's probably because every other sport has a fixed time. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, a game of rugby is 80 minutes. A game of football is 90 minutes. But in innings, I mean, if you were Jeff Boycott, Jeff Boycott, you'd stand there all day with his block guard and he used to wind my Uncle Andrew up no end because he could stay in all day facing every ball that was sent at him in cricket. So maybe Jack is right. That's why we call it an innings. Because you could be out for a duck or you can be in for, what, two, three hundred if you guard your wicket all day. Maybe that's why we say that's a good innings. But the point I'm trying to make is this. Why do we think it is more fair that people die at the time that they die? Because we're creatures of time, you see, and we try to rationalize it all. But in the concept of God, who is Alpha and Omega, he has no beginning, he has no end. God goes back that way to infinity, and he goes that way to infinity and beyond. You see, he has no beginning. And he has no ending. God is so vast that we struggle with our puny, ant-like minds to try to comprehend God himself. And so it's a very difficult thing to come to this topic of time and in a snapshot of moments that we live in life. To come all together that we share these seconds together right here and now. And try to formulate a thought to come together and say, in this moment in time. I mean, give me just one moment in time, said Whitney, the great theologian. <laughs> we grab these moments together. And for us here, we can make this a defining moment if God moves in our hearts and in our lives, and we can be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, says Scripture. Things change in time, in every second. So as we turn to the Scripture this morning, and as we turn to Matthew chapter 25 again, and we shared the first part of it that we uh, were looking in the first part of Entrusted, we were looking at this verse and talking about how we have been entrusted with wealth, with money, and we looked at the parable of the talents that was contained therein. And I deliberately hit that one in the middle. You see, Jesus starts that passage of Scripture in the middle of Matthew chapter 25 in these three stories. One about ten virgins where he talks about time, and we're going to look at that in a moment. Secondly, there's a story in the middle that he talks about talents, and he said, and again a man went on a journey. He uses this term, and again. And he starts in Matthew chapter 25 with this phrase, at that time. Because it's linked to Matthew chapter 24 that we'll talk about briefly in a moment. And then it finishes off at the end of Matthew 25, where it talks about the story of the sheep and the goats that will be the final story that we will end up in Entrusted Part 3. So let's look at the scripture today. But before I read the scripture, let me give you some background. 
Let me give you some background on this scripture that I have seen Matthew 24 preached on many times in my life. You see, what happened is Jesus is walking uh, out of Jerusalem, and as he's walking, they're walking past Herod's temple. King Herod, you see, at the time of Jesus Christ, and uh, that is around kind of 33 to 40 AD is the best time that we can think of, the year 30, not 2019, not 2018, if you carry on the clock back several, several seconds and land yourself back in the time of Christ in Jerusalem, King Herod had come up with this great idea that he would rebuild Solomon's temple. You know, the temple that King David had designed. You could read about this all in the Old Testament. And that Solomon had built. And it needed a bit of refurbishing. It needed a bit of decoration. So King Herod, at that time, passed an edict that that it be rebuilt. And at the time of the disciples... In the time of Christ, the construction of this temple was taking place. Boulder upon boulder, stone upon stone. And as in Matthew 24, you can read the scripture, they walk past the boulders. The, uh, the disciples ask some stories. They ask some questions of Jesus, sorry, about these, the construction of the temple. And Jesus turns around and tells them, he says, in this generation, he says to them, you will see this temple destroyed. You will hear of wars, and you will hear of rumors of wars, and he goes on to prophesy so many things that would happen. And he said this, he says, not one stone that you see being put on top of each other here, not one stone will be left upon each other. An interesting thing is when the Romans came in in the year 70 AD, in August 70, and they destroyed the temple of Herod, they took Every single stone down, not one stone was actually left upon each other, and that prophecy was fulfilled. But the thing is this, Jesus goes on in Matthew 24 to not just share a story about the the, the temple, he talks about the destruction of the temple, but he also talks about the second coming of Christ. And there's a lot of complexity and complications around this. And this is what I want to say to you, is you don't hear much preached in this church about the second coming of Christ, because the Bible is quite clear in Matthew 24, you can read it, and you could also read the same kind of account in Mark chapter 12. Jesus says himself, neither the Son of Man knows the time when that will come. He says, I don't even know. That's up to the boss man upstairs to decide when I'm going to come back. But he tells us to be on our guard. He tells us to be Boy Scouts. He tells us to be prepared. You see, for in a time when you know not, I will come, he says. And he gives some signs. And the signs that he gives about this is, he says, if someone comes and they do miraculous signs, and say that they're Messiah, that they are the Messiah, don't believe them. He says, if there comes someone to you that even tries to tell you when I am coming, don't believe them. Because I don't even know myself, says Jesus. So think about this. Think about the concept of this. To try and predict when Jesus Christ will come in his second coming, 
directly goes against the teachings of Christ when he's telling us that not even Jesus knows. Pastor Ian McPherson, a pastor that I was brought up under uh, in, uh, in our church, was a famous, famous speaker. And I look back at some of those books that I read where you try to work out all the stuff from Jerusalem and the invasion of this and everything else, like a, to try and work out when Jesus would come. Can I tell you when Jesus is going to come? Shall I tell you when he's coming? He's coming when God says. And secondly, shall I tell you how he's going to come? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we'll see the skies open. And I'll tell you, when he's coming then, I'll be able to tell you, he's coming. But until then, we have been entrusted with time. We've been entrusted with our talents. We have been entrusted with all that we have today to be able to go forward in Christ and to be able to use our time wisely. So let's look at this scripture and let's look at three practical ways how we can learn from the scripture together and use our time as wisely as possible. Because time is going right now, isn't it? Let's pray. Father God, as we turn to your word this morning, and as we look at this scripture that you teach us about being prepared and being ready, how we should, we, uh, we should observe our time and we should be stewards of the time that you give us. So in this parable of the ten virgins, teach us today that we might learn to walk in your ways. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, let's read Matthew chapter 25 together. Let's read this uh, scripture. Follow me on screen. If you've got a Bible, um, that's great. If you've got a glow Bible, that's even great. But he starts in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 25. And Jesus says this. After he's talked about the temple's destruction, after he's talked about what the coming of the, se the second coming of Christ will look like, he says this. At that time, the time we're living in now, at that time is this time. Get it? He's talking about today and tomorrow and the day after until Jesus comes again. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who 